You're listening to the Grassroots Church Podcast. We're a Jesus-centered community in Thunder Bay, Ontario. You can learn how to participate more by going to our website at grassroots.church. God rest you merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. To save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. In Bethlehem in Israel, this blessed babe was born and laid within a manger upon this blessed morn. That which is Mother Mary did nothing take in scorn. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. From God, our Heavenly Father, a blessed angel came. And unto certain shepherds brought tidings of the same. How that in Bethlehem was born the Son of God by name. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, joy, joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, joy, joy. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Grassroots Church, and welcome to our Christmas morning Eve, Christmas Eve morning service. Uh, my name's Steve, and I'm the pastor here, and I just am very excited that so many of us have showed up this morning to worship together and to remember our Lord's birth. Okay, I think we have some songs together, so let's, actually, let's open up in prayer, and then um, and I'll invite everyone to stand, and uh, we'll sing some songs and Worship together. Father, this morning we are so grateful that as a community we can gather here uh, on this warm springish day and remember uh, how you came into this world uh, so long ago. And um, that we as a community can worship together through song, through reading, and just through learning. And I pray, Lord, your spirit would be with us and would um, encourage us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. In a world with so many despair, God lights a candle of hope in our hearts. By awesome deeds, you answer us with deliverance. O God of our salvation, you are the hope of all the ends of the earth and the farthest seas. Psalm 
oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we let all within us praise his holy name. so many experience violence, God lights a candle of peace in our hearts. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Luke 1 verse 78-79. This song is um, a song of peace, um, the call to peace actually. Um, called the Song of the Magi, and it it speaks of Christ being born into an occupied land, a land full of of war and strife, and how today that land is still full of war, and it's a call for us as <coughs> kingdom bearers to bring His peace into the world. When we came, we came through the cold. We came bearing gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh and there were trumpets playing. There were angels looking down on a West Bank town. He so loved the world. Boy, we then our warmest capes wore we then our walking shoes open wide the city gates and let us through the killing floor still no crying he makes still as the air is he lying so prayerfully they're waiting for the war welcome home my child your home is a checkpoint now your home is a border town welcome to the brawl Slowly now single file now. 
up against the wall. Where we now are worn as coats, where we now are walking shoes. Open wide the gates of hope. And let us through. When we came, we came through the cold. We came bearing gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, and there were shepherds praying. There were lions laying down with the lambs in a West Bank town. He so loved the world. In a world where so many are so full, God lights a candle of joy in our hearts. The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. Romans 15, verse 12. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Ladies, and thank you to all the children. Um, Shout-outs for the coloring that they've done of hope, peace, joy, and love that they've done over the last few weeks. Shout out to the wonderful music that they've performed for us over the last couple of weeks and for their reading and lighting the candle and just really helping everything go so smoothly. Um, Boy. Um, Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, So again, my name is Pastor Steve, and if you haven't been joining us uh, uh, over the last couple of weeks... um, we have been looking sort of at the unanticipated angle in this season of anticipation that we call Advent. We said that uh, not only do we yearn for a hope that really doesn't make sense to us, uh, but that we can actually begin to actualize that, what we call the reorientation of reality. And then we said followers of Jesus are shown the path of peace that is oftentimes anything but peaceful that it's tumultuous and and quite the bumpy road. And yet this is the very path of peace that we are called to walk as followers in this way. And last week we discovered that joy is birthed in the, the places that we would expect, that we least expect. Not in spaces and places in our lives when life is smooth or when life is going as we hope, but actually in the unanticipated spaces of hardship and struggle and pain that joy shows up. And we see this in the New Testament. We see this in the early church. And maybe we even see it in your own lives. We said all of this, all of this unanticipation, this unexpected truth, this inverse expectation, this way that things are going, this counterintuitive reality, we said all of this is because of Emmanuel, God with us. And I think, there we go. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him 
Emmanuel, which means God with us. Because God is with us, the unexpected, the counterintuitive becomes expected. It becomes intuitive to us. And we often take that for granted. And so here we are this morning, the day before Christmas, lighting these candles of hope, of peace, of joy, and of love, marking the truth we believe that God himself has come to be with us once and that he is with us still. And in some profound, mystical way, he will once again come and set everything right in the end. And that's what we proclaim in this community. And our verse this morning is, uh, it was already read this morning, it's a very familiar passage, perhaps the most familiar verse in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, The singer-songwriter Steve Bell He says about a sociologist by the name of Rodney Stark, uh, uh, who wrote a book called The Triumph of Christianity. Uh, Rodney Stark writes in this book that the most outlandish and revolutionary um, phrase in first century Rome would be, for God so loved the world. And it was so revolutionary because for first century Romans, a world in which religious views abounded, the idea of God's loving the world was so foreign. It was completely unexpected, unanticipated. It was not what gods did. Gods in the first century Rome were understood not to love the world, but to use the world. Gods were not worshipped or revered because of their virtue or their character, but because by worshipping and revering the gods, you could get them on your side. Right? And so gods were worshipped in order to ensure that you know, uh, when you went into war, the victory would be on your side. Or that the rain would come and would feed your crops and give you the nurturing your family needed to survive. Whatever it was, the gods were placated in order to get them on your side. Gods played a necessary role, but not an intimate role. You don't love God or the gods. You used God. And I wonder sometimes if we take for granted that fundamental character trait of love that we prescribe to God. And instead, we end up treating God like how those first century Romans treated their pagan gods, as sort of this means to an end. We try to appease him with our best efforts. We try to win favor through working harder, try to get his attention by being more virtuous, by acting more righteous, more whatever. And I wonder if this is because I think fundamentally we maybe have a distorted view of love. And we get that view from the world. We think God so loved the world, therefore I need to ensure I'm doing X and Y to win his favor or to really experience that love. But really, God so loved the world. Like, before we did anything, God loved us. It's 
who God is, the, the fundamental trait, fundamental uh, nature of his existence, of his being, is one of love. And that love presupposes anything we do. And that is a really hard thing for us as humans to wrap our head around. And I wonder if we just don't get love. If the, ineff the ineffable the one who transcends our language, our comprehension, is himself love, and that re love requires nothing of us, then that begs the question, what is love? And I don't know, does anyone else get this reference? It's definitely, all right, I'm glad that some people get it. This is 25 years old, Night at the Roxbury, an old SNL skit. These little kids here have no idea. Um, but anyway, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. No more. I know, Cedar, you get it. Yeah, Cedar gets it. But for real, what is love? The beauty of Christmas is that we begin to discover what love is because love itself enters our world. Love comes to us. Uh, in the book of Philippians, Paul captures this essence of what love is best, I think, in his poem in uh, Philippians 2. He says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And so the God of the universe humbles himself to become a baby born in a vulnerable, fragile state. But that's not all. He then becomes obedient to death. And not just that, a humiliating criminal's death. The God of the manger and the God of the cross show us a fundamental orientation of humble, others-centered, self-giving love. We were at the Steve Bell concert last Sunday night, and I know a few of you were there as well. And uh, over the last couple of years, as I've gone to see Steve Bell, I've looked at it more as sort of like a guest lecture versus a concert. Because, yes, the music is great and everything, but it's always those profound, like, sort of things he says in between the songs that I am, like, feverishly writing notes down because I'm like, oh, I might use it in a sermon someday. And as it happened... Uh, one sort of nugget that, among many that really stood out was a very simple thing that he said. And it was this. He said, love does not define Jesus. Jesus defines love. And I have been just mulling over this phrase over the last week. And I'm like, oh man, there is so much depth to this simple statement. Love does not define Jesus. Jesus defines love. And I would love it if for this community to really contemplate that over the Christmas holidays. What does that mean? In fact, take a picture of this while it's up there or write it down and commit to just like mulling over this, to get to contemplating this. Um, essentially, all notions of love that I have held in my life that the world seems to tell me from all sorts of sources, whether it's movies, pop culture, whatever, I, I think I subconsciously take those ideas and some of them are good and I kind of project them onto my understanding of Jesus. And I say, well, that's what love looks like. And that is what maybe causes some of this confusion about accepting this love of God before I do anything. 
And Steve Bell suggests that what we, when we look at Jesus first, when we look at how he enters this world, when we look at how he treats the least of these, when we look at his teaching, and then finally his death, his sacrificial giving, then, Bell says, we can understand what love is. That is how love is defined. And so because of that posture, it is a love that does not assume we need to do anything to earn it. It's there because of the nature of the one who authors it. It's been there all along. Amen. If Jesus is the perfect revelation of who God is, and he shows us through his life, starting at the manger, what love looks like, and God so loved the world, then I think it follows that his followers would seek to love the world this way as well. In fact, this becomes the single commandment that Jesus gives not just his disciples, but all of us when he's in the upper room at the end of, nearing the end of his ministry and the 12 closest friends are sort of gathered around him. And um, it, it's sort of this wrap-up speech he gives where it, there's this commandment and, and he says, you know, if what you see in me expresses perfectly who the Father is, and he did say this over and over again, that if you want to understand the Father, look at me. I am the perfect revelation of him. I mean, those weren't his exact words, but that's the essence. Um, and what you know of the Father now is this kind of love that I've demonstrated to you. Then hear this. He says, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus modeled the way of love, and he was about to show them the ultimate display of what the form of self-giving love looks like. And he says to his followers, followers, you are to love one another in the same way that I have loved you. And I have been a follower of Jesus for quite a while. And I'm still wrestling with what does that mean to give selflessly, to be others-oriented. Every interaction I have with people in this world, people especially that are hard to love, causes me to come up against this and to struggle. And I bet you you're the same way. We all struggle with this, which is why we need each other. We need community. We need the Spirit to guide us in this. But this is the kind of love that we are called to as followers of Jesus. A way that might look weak, a way of love that looks passive, a way that does not work with the way that the world works. And yet, 2,000 years later, we, along with millions and millions of people all around the world, gather today to celebrate this way of humble, selfless, others-oriented love that comes to us by way of a baby in a manger. And those Roman gods from the first century, are all but forgotten. So maybe there's something to this form of love. And so in the same way that the hope we long for, the peace that we're called to walk, and the sources of joy that we discover in life all upend our expectations, so too does the way we understand love need to be confronted and upended in light of Emmanuel. 
God so loved the world. Humble, other-centered, selfless love does not require us to do anything to earn that. That love is already there, and it's already been there from the beginning. Amen? So this Christmas, I don't know what is going on or what love will look like in your family or in your friend groups over the holidays or whatever spaces you find yourself in. I don't know what those dynamics are like, but I know that in your efforts to love one another, if it looks like anything other than humble, self-giving, others-oriented love, then I will tell you it is not the love of Jesus. It is not the love of God. It's not the version of love that God demonstrated to us. The God who loved the world shows us because Jesus defines love. And both the manger and the cross point us to this version of love. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that we know what love is because of your son. Um, just this self-giving, other-centered love. Lord, it is so much easier to jump aboard how the world defines love, the often mushy and self-gratifying and, and all the forms, love that is dependent on us doing something. Um, and it can be tricky for us to turn our hearts and our posture toward the self-giving love that you demonstrate. And so this Christmas, I pray that your spirit would work through us and challenge us in our different interactions with family and friends to love selflessly, to meditate upon these truths that your son defines love. Love does not define him. And um, yeah, I'll just leave it there. Thank you, Father, for your work in our hearts and in this community. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus was born as all infants are, shivering and protesting loudly. Yet on those tiny shoulders rests the basis of all that is most solid, most true, most trustworthy, love. A love that is for us, for me, for you, and for the whole world. This is how joy comes to us, full of surprises in the middle of our beautiful, terrible realities. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, verse 6. Let's close in prayer, and, uh, and then we will be off. Thank you to the musicians as well. Thanks to guest musician, Kale. It's good to have you. Um, and to the three ladies for leading us. Let's pray. Jesus Christ. Holy child, glory of God revealed. By starlight we first saw your face. Now by candlelight we sing your praise. Though the night is long, you are our hope. Though the path is dark, you lead the way. By your spirit, help us to shine with the brightness of your truth and share the warmth of your great love so that all may believe, rejoice, and give thanks for you are the light of the world. Amen.